Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up, kid folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step. No, thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Oregon State upsetting UCLA. Perhaps, maybe, we got to talk about what North Carolina did against Miami. We got to talk about what USC did against Notre Dame. We got to talk about Oregon and Washington. Seven top 25 teams took an L on Saturday alone. And with two weeks left to go into the college football playoff rankings are revealed. We're starting to see who is for real and who is not. But I want to get started right with the game that you probably just got done watching. Number 21, Notre Dame stomps out. Number 10, USC, 48 to 20. It is not a stretch to say this is the worst game that we have ever seen Caleb Williams play. Because many of us didn't watch him play at Gonzaga College. I'm willing to bet he wasn't as bad there as he was tonight in South Bend. Threw three interceptions in this game, and all three were in the first half, and they had a forced fumble at the end. The worst half to go along with the worst game that Caleb Williams ever played, which is another way of saying Al Golden's defense absolutely came. What do the kids say? Strapping in Caleb Williams, led by Xavier Watts, who had not one, but two interceptions in this game, six tackles, that forced fumble recovery, a TD, and a pass defended, playing out of his mind, coming out of Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska fans, you had a shot at the senior, and he's over there at Notre Dame doing the damn thing because it's bigger than just those two interceptions. It's that Caleb Williams had thrown just one interception all year against Colorado in what was a 48-41 win, throwing two, let alone in the first half, and to the same man, yeah, you keep that football if you are Xavier Watts. And frankly, the offense didn't do much for Notre Dame. It was the defense that was continuing to keep Lincoln Riley's high-powered offense in check. Again, I got to tip a hat to Al Golden here, who I didn't know that he could pull this one out. But then I remember Al Golden got to see what it was like for the Cincinnati Bengals to go up against Patrick Mahomes. And as Caleb Williams is still probably slotted to be the number one overall pick in the 2024 draft, and the most readily available comp to him is Patrick Mahomes, maybe Al Golden had a really great opportunity ahead of him that we just didn't know he had in his bag. Maybe he had been planning for this game all year, and you can understand why. USC-Notre Dame is a traditional rivalry and a tremendously big game, but it became bigger when Notre Dame lost to Ohio State in South Bend and then lost to Louisville on the road. So they're at two losses, and I had said, Winning this game is not just going to do a bunch for Mark Streeman and him going into the rest of the season, let alone 2024, but for Notre Dame fans themselves, because you would be the team that not only handed USC its first loss, but probably took away the Heisman Trophy from the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Archie Griffin, 
Buckeye that you are, light up a cigar tonight, courtesy of Notre Dame, because I don't think we're going to see the first two-time Heisman winner since Archie Griffin after the performance that we saw from Caleb Williams tonight. You got the special teams involved with the kickoff return for touchdown from Jadarian Price. Again, the defense was outstanding. Audric Estime looked great. We're already hearing about Jeremiah Love and what some NFL evaluators are looking at him to do as a true freshman. But with four general managers representing NFL teams at South Bend tonight, you got to believe that they were all watching number 13 at USC. And I think a lot of guys playing defense for Notre Dame absolutely made themselves some money and moved up in the draft based on what they did against Lincoln Riley's offense tonight. Again, this offense for USC had been the reason it was a top 10 team. And Caleb Williams, the reason that offense goes. It is not a stretch to say we haven't seen a Lincoln Riley game this bad in quite some time. As a matter of fact, I think we can take it back to his time at Oklahoma and not have seen a game this bad for a Lincoln Riley coach team. I mean, even against LSU in the 2019 Peach Bowl, Oklahoma put up 28 points. This USC team was held to 20. It's a USC team that had put up 40 or more points in every game it had played until now. Again, I would say that it's not whether or not you are going to score 40. It's whether or not you're going to give up 40. Turns out they gave up 48 and could only score 20 because they could barely move the football. Even when you were getting a little bit from Zachariah Branch, even when you were getting a little bit from Austin Jones, from Mario Williams, you couldn't quite turn those things into sustainable drives. And when you could, you were giving the ball away. Again, tremendous play from the defense at Notre Dame. Five turnovers that defense forced. Six sacks of the Heisman winner at quarterback. I think if we saw this Notre Dame team against Louisville, we're probably having a different conversation about what's left for Notre Dame to do. But again, two-loss team. You go all the way through the rest of your schedule. You see how things shake out. Maybe you get into a New Year's Six Bowl game here. But the story going forward from here and as far as what we're interested in, which is who's going to win the national championship, still includes USC. Because as cool as it is for Notre Dame to get this victory in South Bend where they got to shoot off the fireworks and tell Fight On to send it all right back to L.A., this was a non-conference game for USC, which is to say they're still undefeated in a very, very deep and very, very competitive Pac-12. And they could still very well end up in the Pac-12 championship game. And if they won the Pac-12 championship game with this one loss, I could still see them getting into the college football playoff with an invitation because Caleb Williams is still that guy. Even if he played the worst game that he's played of his career, he's still a guy that you don't necessarily want to pick against. Even though I will also add to you, Notre Dame was favored going into this game I didn't think it was because the defense was so stout, but it is. USC, though, has games left against Washington, Oregon, and Utah. All three of those teams are capable of beating USC. Can they? Will they? Uh, those are two different questions, right? I think that we still haven't seen the best of Utah, which is a scary thought, because they're managing to win football games without Cam Rising, their quarterback. And now that we're halfway through the season, you got to start asking, are we going to see Cam Rising at all? going in through the rest of 2023. Now we could, but the bye week for Utah has come and gone and they were able to get it done earlier today against Cal, you know, putting up 34 points. And by the way, through six games, Utah has allowed just, you know, 73 points scored, which is the fewest that a Utah program has allowed through six games since 1994. Another way USC is going to run into what I think is a Pac-12 buzzsaw. Washington, we'll talk about a little bit later on, but 
they're giving everybody they, everything they want. The same thing is true of Oregon. And now we're learning that even the bottom of the Pac-12 is still pretty damn good, meaning Stanford, meaning Arizona. We'll see about Cal and what they might turn out to be a little bit later on. But I'm not going to be heavily favoring any of these Pac-12 teams against each other. And that's kind of what this is going to turn into. The Pac-12 is going to have a bloodletting because it's going to do what the Big 12 have been doing for years, which is eating itself alive until you only got one real champion and one real opportunity to get into the college football playoff because you ain't got no divisions and you can't lean on that, right? Right now, we're looking at Big Ten having Iowa sitting atop the Big Ten West standings without their starting quarterback available because the defense is so good. I think Lincoln Riley will learn from this that he has to get Caleb Williams more protection, but I don't know how because there are no seven protection schemes in Lincoln Riley's offense. And the defense isn't getting any better. And if they lost Max Williams for the rest of the season, an outstanding safety for them, that's going to not help them at all. So you're really asking that defense to do something it hasn't done all year to help you win these football games, which is stop people and keep them from scoring. Again, USC could end up going 11-1 the rest of the way. They could also end up going 7-5. and five. That is what their schedule looks like. They have one of the toughest schedules left in college football. Now, will they be ranked inside the top 10 after this tomorrow? Well, I'll have my rankings out tomorrow or later tonight on Fox Sports, on the Fox Sports app, if you are so inclined. But certainly we will talk about it on our rankings show right here live at 1.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, give or take. I've also got another conundrum where I got to work through, which is what am I going to do with Oregon? Because number seven, Washington, beating number eight, Oregon, 36 to 33, doesn't really tell me a whole hell of a lot about who's better. I know that one is going to be ranked higher than the other because Washington beat Oregon. But that game was the best game that I have seen since OU Texas last week, right? And as I have friends on both sides of this ridiculous rivalry, I got to tell you that there was more than just their feelings at stake here because we're talking about the first time that these two programs who've been playing for over 100 years had been ranked inside the top 10 together and 5-0 and together when they were playing each other. And for two fan bases that can't stand one another, you can't imagine how badly each one of them wanted to win this one. And what I found most interesting about this is that Michael Penix Jr. got an opportunity to show what I had asked him to show earlier in the week. You'll remember, I said that Husky fans told me they got a Heisman winner at quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. And I said, this is the game to show it. And my goodness, did he ever. Now, I can look at the stats and we could do the box score thing, 22 or 37 for 3 OT with four TDs and a pick. But it was in winning time, when you absolutely need to go down the field and get a score, that I got to see the Michael Penix Jr. that Husky fans knew was there the whole time. I got to see the guy that was just looking for one more opportunity to get on the field to try to go get his team six, to try to go win this thing in regulation for the Huskies in front of the Yacht Club in Seattle against the hated Oregon Ducks. And my goodness, he did not squander the opportunity. He also got a lot of help. Dylan Johnson playing outside of his mind at tailback. Rome Odunzi out there absolutely putting on. Giles Jackson putting on. I was so impressed by what Chuck Morrell was able to do with this defense. I wasn't talking about Washington defense. Nobody was talking about Washington's defense. I picked Oregon 
because I thought Oregon was the more complete team, the balanced team, the team that could run the ball, pass the ball, and stop you. And not for nothing, but the Duck defense answered the bell. Troy Franklin ought to be a Blitnikoff Award finalist. He's had seven catches for like 149 in this game. Bo Nix was operating. Bucky Irving, Jordan James, doing everything they know how to do. But this game came down to coaches and their decisions or mistakes. Okay? If I was going to tell somebody who didn't watch the game to one stat to tell me what this was about, it would be look at who converted their fourth downs and look at who did not. Now, I've always thought it was controversial to go for it on fourth down, but you will only go for it on fourth down if you understand that you're going to go get it, right? There are programs that just, that's part of their DNA. And I think Dan Lanning wants it to be part of their DNA. So heading into halftime, you have an opportunity to kick a field goal, get three points, right? And get the ball back to start the second half. But he wanted to be aggressive. He says, that's who we're going to be. We're going to go for it on fourth down. They turn the ball over on downs. Now, I would have wanted to take the points because I think that the name of the game is scoring them, not converting fourth downs. Okay? That's one. Two is you had opportunities here where you could have punted the ball, gave it back to Michael Penix Jr. and them, perhaps inside the 20, and make them do what you had to do at the end, which is go the length of the field and try to go get six. But if you took the three there, you at least have to go get a touchdown and then the two-point conversion for them to beat you. I'm saying that Dan Lanning lost this game for Oregon. The Oregon players did not. And Dan said what he said the last time he played Washington, which is the last time that he lost to Washington. Hey, this game is 100% on me. You can say that the first time. But if you say it the second time, we don't necessarily believe you. Because the thing that college football coaches tell us that they want from us is to learn from our mistakes. How are we supposed to feel about you going for it on fourth down when you know that it didn't work the first two times you tried? And how are we supposed to feel about your play calling if you're going to come to a post game following a loss to Washington and say, it's 100% on me? You got to do better than that at this point. And frankly, we're paying much closer attention to what coaches are doing in these winning time situations because they have led to some really interesting outcomes. Like earlier, Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, 10 men on the field against Ohio State, Mario Cristobal choosing to run the ball instead of taking a knee. Now we got Dan Lenning, who had an opportunity to punt the football and or kick for a field goal, and he decided, hey, no, we're just going to go for it. No, dog, that's just not going to work, especially when you got these dudes playing out of their minds and you're on the road. You are not in Autzen. You are in a hostile environment where those dudes can't hear themselves think. And you're asking them to go and get it when they have shown that they're not going to go and get it. And then you run out the field goal kicker who's got to be thinking, hey, man, you didn't trust me all game. You trust me now? How am I supposed to be confident in my ability to go kick a field goal if you only want me when you want me? Again, when we're talking about playing the game at this level with 18 to 23-year-olds, you really got to get back into that psyche. They have to be confident. They have to believe in what they're doing. And you have to give them that confidence. And I feel like field goal kicker, place kicker for the Ducks had that confidence. But I was very impressed with Oregon, right? It was the same team that beat Colorado 42-6. to six. It was the same team that I thought was going to be nip and tuck with Washington. But Washington found a way. Ryan Grubb put Michael Penix Jr. in a great spot there. And even as, I'm not sure what he's fighting through, 
but he was clearly fighting through something, right? We could see him grabbing at his chest, going out there, trying to warrior his way through this. And if you don't know about Michael Penix Jr.'s story by now, you live under a rock. But suffice to say, he's blown out his knees twice. He was up and down in Indiana. He transferred to Washington because Kalen DeBoer, and he had it going there for a little bit in 2020 when he was at Indiana, right? 2019, 2020. And thought maybe they could do something. And then Ryan Grubb went to interview for the job at Alabama, ends up staying at Washington. Chuck Morrell and William Inge, they end up getting this defense up and going. And they're able to run it back like they did last year. And now they're in a position to win the Pac-12 championship. Like, that's who they are to me right now. They are the dominant team in the Pac-12. It's theirs to lose as far as I'm concerned. Because they show me everything I need to see against Oregon. Now, they might get to play Oregon once again in the Pac-12 championship because Oregon still has a way to get there. USC's on its schedule. Remember, I told you that USC is undefeated. But again, if you're a Washington fan, I don't know that you're going to feel better. As a matter of fact, if you are still out there having a good time, please have another beverage for your mans because I understand what it means to win this type of game against your enemy. It's, mm, it's so sweet. And the NFL pro football will never, ever get that feeling because you live and die with this team that you went to school with, that you were raised to love, that you have parents, that you have friends, that you have acquaintances that went to both schools. Your enemy's over there for the day. Your friends are over here for the day. And you get to celebrate this very sweet win that was nip and tuck the whole way. I'm impressed with Washington. I'm impressed with Oregon. I have a conundrum about what I'm going to do with Oregon a little bit later on. But I got to say, if Oregon gets back to this spot and they get to play Washington, the Pac-12 championship, I want Dan Lanning to learn from this day. Just because you're aggressive doesn't mean that y'all always got to be aggressive. Sometimes you got to go score points because three points can change the complexion of a football game that is in the balance with the clock running out. So from there, let's keep it in the Pac-12, which, again, outstanding. We got number 15, Oregon State, beating number 18, UCLA, 36-24. to 24. Dante Moore is having a tough year. I, thought, I still think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in that league, but he's also proven to be a true freshman. Three interceptions in this game all in the first half, including a pick six, his third pick six of the season against his third different team. And Oregon State's just too good a football team to not capitalize on those things. And now that they had the quarterback that they were missing last year, Oregon State feels like a Pac-12 championship contender. Again, it's going to get spicy here in the next couple of weeks going into November in the Pac-12 because you got four or five teams that still have an opportunity to make it to the Pac-12 title game. One of the big reasons as to why is you could see this Oregon State defense is not falling off. It's one thing to hold them to 24. It's another thing to pick the ball off three times. It's another thing to be able to give your offense an opportunity to stretch the lead. And then one more for your offense to go do what is necessary and put the ball into the end zone. Because I expected Oregon State to be the kind of football team that is winning games 20 to 17, not 36 to 24. Certainly not being able to put up 50 on Cal, but that's who they are now with guys like Damian Martinez back there. And I'm, I don't know what exactly to do with these dudes from Corvallis except to say enjoy them because they're getting home with their pass rush. DJ Uyungle feels like the guy that he was at St. John Bosco. And just, my goodness, Jonathan Smith 
just the nicest coach that I've ever met when we're talking about big time programs. Just that really cool air and demeanor about him, kind of like Mike Riley, who was once Oregon State head coach. And they're out there doing what they know how to do. The moment is not too big for them. They'd also got another top 25 pellet. Now, they beat Utah, which is huge. Now they're beating UCLA, which is huge. I got to try to square away that Washington State loss now because Washington State got dunked on its head by Arizona 44 to 6, and UCLA also dunked Washington State on its head. So maybe we just let that one go when we're talking about the rankings. But Oregon State, 6-1, absolutely could win the Pac-12 championship. And if they win the Pac-12 championship, they're going to make it to the college football playoff. They've got an interesting road ahead as well. Again, they're going to finish with what I think is a really tough slate. I think they got Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, Oregon, Washington left. And that is a gauntlet and a half. So you run through that, you're going to rise into the top 10 pretty quickly, if not overnight. Again, I got a conundrum here because I got a Louisville that I got to figure out something to do with too, right? And I got I got a Notre Dame that I got to figure out something to do with too, along with LSU who went ahead and just mollywhopped Auburn. Top 25 is going to be a whole different ball game come Sunday, but I'm up for it and I love this stuff. I'm very excited to see what I got to do with Oregon State because I just did not have this on the bingo card come week seven. But you know what I did have on the bingo card come week seven? Number two, Michigan being a top five program. They blew out Indiana 52 to seven. I have them ranked as the number one team in the country. I have no reason to change that. None, zero, nada. Number one, they went down seven zero to Indiana, cool. And then they had 52 straight points scored. They needed a little flea flicker to fly, a little halfback pass to get on the board for Indiana with Rod Carey calling the place for the first time. And then Michigan decided, okay, enough. And went about doing what I want my number one team in the country to do. Again, it ain't about being undefeated. That's the bar. That's the barrier for entry. That's the bare minimum. And you know what? If you're not a power five team, we don't even care about that. Looking at you, Air Force. I love you. They don't. They're not going to let you into the college football playoff. You need to hope that we expand this thing pretty quick so we can see what you're capable of over there with the Falcons. However, if you're a top five program, you're a power five program, I expect you to be undefeated heading into week eight. And not only that, if you're the number one team in the country, I expect you to be dominant in every game you play. So far, nobody's been able to score more than 10 on Michigan. Nobody. Nada. Zero. Zilch. I don't want to hear no more. I didn't play nobody. The schedule's schedule. Okay? Ain't nobody ain't played nobody until they get to conferences, right? Penn State beat up on UMass. Okay? At some point, your favorite SEC team is going to schedule an FCS team that they're going to beat the hell out of. We don't care about schedules. I thought we might at some point, but that ain't the world we live in, okay? The world we live in is the one you live in, the one where you want to see your team go beat people up, but I'm not going to give Georgia points for beating up a Vanderbilt team that had a five-loss win streak coming in and somehow was able to get on the board. I don't need to see Vanderbilt getting on the board against Georgia, not make them the number one team in the country. I need to see what Michigan was doing today. I knew that J.J. McCarthy was a dude. I knew that Roman Wilson was a dude. I knew that Blake Corman and Donovan Edwards were dudes. I knew that offensive line was the best offensive line in the country. You know what I didn't know? That Colson Loveland was a dude. Three catches, 80 yards, and a TD. I didn't know they had a Tyler Moore back there, and they were, hey, Andrew Anthony, you want to go to Oklahoma? It's fine. We got a dude that can break people off in the punt return game and is going to catch four passes, 54 yards. 
We are deep on the defense. Mike Sam still can do whatever he wants over there. If you forget about it, we got Will Johnson over there playing DB. You forget about our defensive line, we'll remind you. We're going to get into your backfield. Four turnovers for the Michigan defense allowed just 232 total yards. Again, you'll say, RJ, but it's Indiana. Okay, and is Indiana a Big Ten team? Yeah, yeah, Indiana is a Big Ten team. Just like Purdue. Just like Rutgers. Just like Michigan State. Somebody's going to be bad every year, guys. That's how this works. But are you dominating the people that are bad? That's what I want from you. Be dominant. Again, we're not interested in the flim flam. We're interested in the bing, bam, bam. Look, the reason that we were all down on USC before Notre Dame is because we didn't trust how they were winning football games. So I'm not going to let you do the same against a Michigan team that is doing everything I ask it to do. Everything. Go beat the hell out of the people that you're supposed to beat the hell out of. And then let's look around and see what it is. But you know what? They got Michigan State coming up. And then we're going to get in the nitty-gritty with Michigan, too, because they got a Penn State team that feels pretty good. And, of course, the game, Ohio State-Michigan, that's going to be a doozy. But, man, I'm already looking forward to Ohio State-Penn State next week. We'll get to that. That game. That game is going to be outstanding. I love watching those two teams play football. North Carolina, number 12, North Carolina, beating up on number 25, Miami, 41 to 31. Tez Walker. My goodness, I'm so glad to see this man eligible. He out there making it happen for US and UNC. Look, six catches, 132 yards, three TDs, and some rushing yards in there too. He makes them better. You could see why Mac Brown also wanted him on the field. The NCAA was keeping one of their best playmakers off the field, and they were still undefeated. Golly. All right, so we got Drake May out here who had a whole hum performance by his standards. 17 or 33, 273, four TDs, no picks. Omarion Hampton still absolutely running people down. 24 carries, 197 yards, a TD against a Miami team that I thought was good. Now, I didn't rank them because I thought that top 25 loss, or excuse me, that loss to Georgia Tech as a top 25 team was egregious. But you know what the AP did? AP ranked them. And because the AP ranked them, all right, I'll take them seriously as much as I got to. Right. And then they go into this game and I'm asking the question, is Mar uh, Mario Cristobal going to lose his team? Answer's no, he didn't lose his team. They just lost to UNC. So now look at who UNC's got left. Because I already did. I already did. You ain't got to look. They got Duke left. That's the only ranked opponent they got. That's it. They dodge a Louisville team that I don't know what the hell to do with. But you know what? We'll, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about them. They dodge a Florida State team. I still don't trust though. This was the most trustworthy performance that they have put together all year. 41 to three against Syracuse, dominating the teams you should dominate. And I'm still not exactly sure that an undefeated North Carolina team is good enough to make the college football playoff. However, if they are undefeated, and let's say you got a one-loss Pac-12, which is likely, and a one-loss Big 12, maybe, they could get it, right? Because we're going to put the SEC champion there. We're going to put the Big 10 champion there. And then we're going to have a fight about who the next two of those three should be, but North Carolina basically survives in advances. And as far as we're talking about college football playoff implications, I don't know. I think that I'm picking UNC against Florida state, but after what Dino Baber said about Keon Coleman, I've elevated Keon Coleman from just the Bolitnikoff award finalists, like say Troy Franklin and Marvin Harrison jr. Into a Heisman candidate, because it's not every day that I hear a coach as seasoned as Dino Babers, who's been around some playmakers, like, say, Sean Tucker, who said God was showing off when he made him. Talk about Keon Coleman. 
I, and I saw the catch that he made when he was talking about God was showing off. I, I see it. And then you add in Jaheim Bell. Then you add in whoever they want to put back there, whether it's Toafili Toafili or whether it's, uh, my goodness, which Florida State, Trey Benson. My goodness. I usually got names like this, but sometimes it just kind of slip. And Jordan Travis doing what he's doing, right? So you got him. But I need to see you put together these performances and not need to come up with the goods late to win football games. And this was dominant. This is what I asked you to do. I'm still not going to make you a top five team. I think might just shake out that way. We'll see. Again, a lot of bloodletting going on in the top 25 with seven top 25 teams taking losses today. Three taking their first loss. So let's get to a game that I thought we were going to talk about a little bit differently when it kicked off. Friday, 9 o'clock Central Standard Time, 8 o'clock Mountain Time. Stanford, stunning Colorado, 46 to 43 in double overtime. All right. I watched every bit of this game, every last second. I saw Colorado go up 29-0 at half and thought about doing what many of y'all did, which is, all right, I'm going to go to bed because it's late. It's late, and, and, and you know what? There's, we got football at 11 a.m. the next day. I got to get ready for the ranked games. And then, uh-oh. Stanford decided to play it, it game of his life, but only in the second half. All right, so it go like this. Colorado absolutely got to do the quarterback. Shadur Sanders, 14 to 18, 201, passing 273, total yards, three TDs, only in the first half. All right? Travis Hunter returns. Travis Hunter getting it in. You know, Xavier Weaver is out there getting it in. Three TDs in the first half for him. Catching the ball like he'd been there the whole damn time. All right? So there's that. I also get to add this little stat. Colorado had 20 passing TDs total in 2021 and 2022 combined. Shadur Sanders has thrown 21 TDs through six games. Ridiculous what that dude has done. But I'm not done with him. We're going to get to that part I know you want to talk about. But let me set this up here. Okay? So, you're thinking, okay, Colorado, go salt this away. And then you remember... Damn, that's still Colorado's defense out there. How did that happen? Well, when you give up a 97-yard explosive to Alec Iron Manor, excuse me, and then you give up 60 passy TD explosive to Alec Iron Manor, you get yourself back in the ball game. And then you look up, and Colorado's going for it, like Dan Lanning, on fourth down, and they're getting stopped. I counted them up. They had... Four stops on fourth down and three in the third quarter alone for Colorado. And the Cardinal defense was outstanding in coverage late. But as you're giving the ball back to Ashton Daniels, in particular at quarterback, because they played two at Stanford, he saw what I saw, which is that Alec Iron Manor could get whatever he wanted against the best DB Colorado has and one of the best DBs in the country. So you start in the first half, you're paying attention. Alec Iamanner ran right by Travis Hunter. You could say bad angle. You could say Hunter got caught. You could say whatever. I said he ran by, by him, and they missed him, but that play was going to be there. And it was. 13 times, 294 yards in the second half. In the, in the second half of this man. So people are going, hey, uh, Travis Hunter might not be that good. No, I learned Ellen Ironman's first round draft pick. Like, that's what I learned. I learned somebody's going to come up on him in the NFL and that uh, Stanford better go ahead and wrap their arms around that boy 
and keep him ready for whatever you're going to do in the ACC next year because that man is absolutely outstanding. He's the reason that this game went into overtime. Had one of the great catches of the year, pinning the ball against Travis Hunter's helmet for the TD. But then you get into overtime. And that has been traditionally Shadur Sanders' time, okay? He likes those moments. He has been clutching those moments. Called himself Brady Mode in those moments. Then, in that moment, running for his life, he made an uncharacteristic mistake, threw the ball up. Stanford gets the INT. All they need is three points to win. They get the three points to win. It's 46 to 43. He quite literally lost them the game. Colorado's defense gave up. 46 points in one half and two overtimes of football. And remember, we changed the overtime rules where you just can't run it up, a la Texas A&M, LSU. Okay, Charles Kelly is going to have to have one hell of a come-to-Jesus meeting with his defense because that can't happen. But when you got your best player on that defense, you got to ask yourself, what did 12 do? And did he do enough, or did we overdo it with him in his first game back off his lacerated liver? Now, Travis Hunter, playing both ways, DB and wide receiver, played over 100 snaps, right? I got these uh, producer Tyler doing yeoman's work, finding this stuff out. 157 total plays against Stanford. 38 passes either thrown to him or against him combined, okay? He caught 13 of those, 13 of 19 targets for 140 yards, two TDs. That is a great day for wide receiver let alone a guy going both ways. But on defense, he was thrown at 19 times. He gave up 11 catches for 158 yards and two TDs. Simple question. Should he be playing this many snaps, coming back from injury, or just at all? Now, should, would, could, probably going to keep playing in that many snaps because that's what the dude wants to do. I didn't think he looked tired. He has never said that he's been tired. And Prime didn't look like he needed to pull him. And Charles Kelly didn't think that Cormani McLean was ready to go. And then Carter Stoutmeyer was getting his behind beat. So was Shiloh Sanders. What in light, you had other options there. Now you might say, does he need to be playing wide receiver? Yes, he had 13 catches for 140 yards and two TDs. He needs to be playing wide receiver. But it's about depth at Colorado. It's about depth and talent. Depth on the offense, right? Particularly offensive line, still bad. Depth on the defense. They need help everywhere. It ain't just Travis. You need help everywhere. If you feel like you can go at Travis Hunter, that means the rest of the defense is also something that you're absolutely going to exploit. So as Colorado fought this pivotal game for them, man, because they could have gone from they go four and three when they could have been five and two. And now with the schedule that they got left, it's really rough to see where they're going to get their next two wins to get the bowl eligibility, but they could still do it. I think it's still there for them. It's just not going to be easy because you don't have no easy wins left. Your last two easy wins went out the door, okay? That's that's it. Arizona State and Stanford, those were the ones you were supposed to win, and you split those. Now you got to find something nasty. You got to find something gritty, and you got to lean into who you are. This ain't the time to turn down who you are. You better turn it up. You better come loud. You better come proud. You better finish strong, just like this show. All right. That is going to do it for tonight's episode of the number one college football show. We will be back Sunday for our top 25 rankings reaction show where we'll react to the AP top 25 and I will reveal my top 25. We'll sauce that up. We'll talk about some Heisman candidates who's still there, who should be winning it and get you set up for week eight and what will be an outstanding game of Ohio State, Penn State to marquee it next weekend. All right. 
that is going to do it for us. We will see y'all on Sunday. Deuces.